Welcome back to YB Voices. For this Asia-Pacific series, in our sixth episode, Transition Back to School, Part 2, we've brought together educators from Hong Kong and Australasia to discuss how they maintain connectivity, resilience and positivity during virtual learning and what they'll bring back with them as they transition back to school. I'm your host, Steve Wishart, IBWS Manager for Australasia. Joining me on part two of the episode, David Boardman, Kim Jackson, and Josh Blue. Often teachers are doing everything for everyone else and supporting families, as we've discussed, and supporting their direct students and so forth. How did you support them? How did the school community support teachers? Well, we have a very supportive community and I was listening intently to what Josh was saying about the feedback from the surveys because, you know, we also did our um, surveys and where five people would say we're getting too much work to do with our students and other five would say there's not enough and some would say this is great and others say this is awful and as with anything, I guess, you're never going to hit the nail on the head all the time. But in general, so I'll talk generally, our parents were extremely grateful for the time and effort the teachers were putting in to support their children. Many parents, I think all around the world, sent messages, emails to the teachers in the school. And I think there is a definitely a newfound respect for what teachers mm. do. My favourite sort of meme that I saw over the last few months was parents are about to find out that the teacher was not the problem, which made me giggle a little bit because, you know, quite often it's the teacher's fault for everything. Um, I think this has actually made parents sort of see, well, my child is not that easy to sit there for X amount of time to read. They're not able to do this and do that. So there was an awareness, I think, for a lot of parents that their child or their children um, maybe were not going how they thought they were. And one example in particular was where um, the parent would contact the teacher and say, they're behind. I'm watching other students on these conferences and focus groups and my child can't do that. It kind of opened the conversations for teachers to say, well, no, that they can't, but that's okay because that's where they're learning. So our whole school culture of personalised learning, this gave us an opportunity to almost coach the parents in how we do things the way we do. And so they're dare I say, more on board with how mm. things work at our school. So the support they're now giving to teachers is incredible. Our parents very much wanted to know more often how their students were going. That was a feedback from last year and the year before. We want more constant feedback on how our children are going. And so all we've done is the feedback we give to our students, we've now got on Google Classroom so the parents can go whenever they like. And and most parents don't go on there very often, <laughs> but it's now there for parents to look at. So that connectedness to school and the teacher, and I'll just finish up by saying that our teachers have said that they don't think they've ever known their students as well mm. in however many years they've been teaching as they now know these kids. And they've never had as much open communication and support from a group of parents as they have. And I think this whole remote learning has, has supported that. Thanks, Kim. Josh? I think one of the ways that we best supported our teachers as leaders within the school was we took on teaching responsibilities. I taught maths for the last four months in years one and two and recorded the videos and set the tasks. I didn't mark the work that wasn't for me, but to be part of what was actually happening 
and to know how stressful it is to edit the movie that needs to be posted so and making it clear and making sure that it wasn't too long or that you know all the concepts were taught as they were supposed to be and you know actually doing that and being part of the teaching team as opposed to leading that team sent a very clear message not only to the teachers that you know we're all in this together but also to the parents to say you know no one's just sitting around you know that's often a perception i think when you're a leader in a school that yeah. i mean maybe you just sit in an office and and that's what you do it was it's funny you say that because the yeah. those schools that have really stood out in this process it's been very clear the leadership interaction and the, the leadership taking on different roles mm-hmm. and being willing to support teachers. And it's open and easy to see from every perspective. And I think the other thing that we've been strong with is just being transparent and communicating why things are happening. Because I think, you know, as we know from when we were all in class-based and you know, you sometimes don't see the bigger picture Mm. and you only see how it affects you within the four walls of your classroom. And we're dealing with issues and situations that are far bigger than us. Mm. And to be able to, you know, sit down in a phase meeting and say, okay, this is what's going to happen and this is why it's going to happen. I would hope that, you know, we all communicate like that all of the time, but I think we made very intentional choices and how we've been communicating to make sure that there isn't confusion, that people know why it's happening and how they're going to be supported through it. And I think we must have done something right, because when we had our meeting last Friday, the year two team, they just, they stopped the meeting and they said, look, whatever you tell us that we need to do in order to get these students back, we will do because we trust you. And we know that whatever decision you've made, it wasn't just made on a fluke. Mm. There was a lot that went into that decision-making process. We have a strong school community. It's not like we didn't before, but I think we're stronger for what has happened. David? Yeah, so we made a, a conscious decision right from the start that we weren't going to expect our teachers to be online for every one of their normal periods. Mm. Now, I know some schools have done that. Some schools have basically just shifted their entire timetable online and Zoomed it, Google meeting it. That's the first realization. But I, I, I sort of laughed when Kim talked earlier about, you know, parents saying, you know, my, my child is not learning as fast as the other children. What we had to deal with then was why are you not delivering as many classes or as many minutes per week as this other school down the road is doing? Yeah. So as, as the leaders of the school, we took all of that away from the teachers. We dealt with all of that issue, which you would expect as, as leaders anyway, but continued to feed the positives to the teachers. You're reinforcing what they were doing and trying to get across to our community. And it was only a small number of very vocal parents. I would say 98% were absolutely blown away by the effort um, that the teachers were putting in. But we've all got them. It's that small number of very vocal ones who needed to be convinced and told time and time again that what we were doing was based on international best practice. Mm. We, We hadn't just decided that we were going to halve the lesson time and and sit back for the rest of it. The rationale was so that our teachers could plan effectively for what is a different delivery style and make sure that that time when they were connecting with the students was used effectively, as efficiently as possible, and also building 
especially with the, the seniors, that flipped pedagogical approach um, that is so important. So focusing on building those skills as well for the students that normally they wouldn't possibly experience until tertiary education. And the feedback from our teachers and our students has been incredibly positive about that. They're absolutely on target with their progression for where they would be normally, but the levels of, I suppose, anxiety and feelings of pressure from both students and teachers was far less um, while we were teaching remotely because they knew they just had to focus it. They were using those 30, 40 minute contacts three times a week yeah. very, very effectively. There was no busy time and the students appreciated that because they knew they'd go in, they'd focus on it and then in their own time they'd do some extra learning and constantly just feeding back to the teachers the positive feedback the fact that you know we had their backs we supported them entirely and also some of the comments coming from the students and uh, the okay. teachers found incredible thanks david kim i was just going to say the daily word that i sent to parents i also sent out to teachers too so that was constantly keep it uh, one teacher said it felt like they were, it was their only tether to the mothership was finding out each day sort of what was going on in school and the other thing that we did just to add to those fantastic ideas these guys um, implemented was we had well-being satellite groups so each of our leadership team took um, a small group of teachers we broke them into five groups and we had 11 staff each and they were our team for this period of time so rather than you know ringing every teacher all the time we just sent out every couple of days i had my team and and i contacted them and anything they wanted to talk about anything they were worried about any issues with parents we said to staff you send them to us and we'll deal with all that you just worry about getting set up learning how to run a google meet we've got a teacher in our school who's 73 and (laughs) it is not her strength even though she's magical teacher ever but she needed to learn how to run a Google Meet as opposed to dealing with this parent who wanted more homework for their child. So I think similar to to David and Josh, the success of our staff having that trust in us was for us to be continually communicating that to them. Trust us, we've got this. Fantastic advice. Talking about that, how did you look after yourselves as leaders? We've (laughs) talked about parents, we've talked about kids, we've talked about teachers you know, you're in a leadership position, you're leading all of these people and probably the last person you're thinking about is yourself. How did you or how do leaders, even how should they, look after themselves? Josh? How they should. Well, (laughs) (laughs) probably taking time for ourselves with our families and being able to turn off. Admittedly, I was on my email constantly because things were constantly changing and there were things that needed to be followed up upon. I think as a leadership team here at school, we supported one another and we put on you know, a strong front for anyone else. But behind closed doors, we could have those conversations about our own stress and where we were at. Also, I think as a leader, I'm, I believe in empathy and I believe in emotion. And so when I met with my phase about the returning to school, you know, I, I definitely did shed a few tears because I could see the stress on their face. And, you know, that's a hard thing when the only thing we want is for our students to be back. But in actuality, getting them back is far more difficult than just staying online 
because we finished school on June 24th. So to bring the kids back for what will amount for 10 school days, it was really hard to kind of figure that out. And so I think to show that, I think strong leaders show what they're feeling and where they're at. And it's not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of community and of who we are. Because we know full well that the teachers that we work with are feeling the same level of emotion. And there's only a certain point that we can keep it in until it kind of boils over, I guess. That's right. Thanks, Josh. Kim? For me, it was actually being at work. So um, maybe being a, a, a most leaders in, in some way, shape or form, a control freak, so I, I think. <laughs> And for me, actually being in the school, so when there was something happening, I, I was here. Now, probably could have done it from home too, but I, it made me feel I could control things and see things from a bigger picture being at school, which felt a little bit hypocritical because staff weren't allowed to be at school for that and they probably wanted to do the same thing. But I think for me, it was being here. Our leadership team members, there's three assistant principals and they chose to be at school as well. So... An upside to this was the bonding that took place with us mm. over that period of time. We had time to talk things through. Um, yeah, for me, it was definitely being at school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Kim. David? Well, I, I've made a conscious effort to focus some time and put some time every day to look after my own personal well-being and health. So to make sure that I took advantage of actually not being on campus all day every day because... We, we weren't allowed to come into school. So I put some time aside to exercise mm. and I had to do that. If I missed it for a day, I knew it. By the evening, I'd be starting to get wound up. So I made sure I was exercising. But like Kim said, that, that personal contact with the teaching staff, you know, I made a point of ringing them all individually on a regular basis as well and not talking about school, mm. just talking about how's your family, how are your kids doing, you know, is there anything I can help you with? So that, that was great for myself. And I think as leaders, whether we're in a situation like this or not, you've got to have a network of colleagues, friends who you can communicate with. Now, they might be in a school down the road or they might be in a school in a different country. But the only people who really understand what you're going through are your peers in similar situations. So it is critical to have a couple of close people who you can just get on Zoom or on the phone with, tell them what you're going through and they understand. It can be a very lonely position uh, as a leader of a school if you're not careful. So it's critical to have those. I think that's a really good point, David. I think some of my favorite memories of the last four months have been connecting with other IB educators across the region and across the globe to have those conversations because they get it, but at a different level. And so to have that outside person is, is really, really important. It actually tested my leadership in, in one way. I felt that when I met with people, we'd come on and say, you know, good morning, everyone. How are you all going? And you'd be sort of left with Kermit the Frogs, just like, mm, yeah, they're good. Yeah, I'm really tired. My eyes tired and rubbing their eyes and rubbing their hair and oh, I'm exhausted. And, and you'd be like, okay, well, like, let's go. And you'd be trying to sort of keep everyone up. And thinking back, not many people actually said, and how are you going? 
So it's, it was a bit of a Meghan Markle moment, you know, no one actually said, how, how are you? And, and as a leader, you don't expect that to happen either. So I get that. But um, it was very much, well, you know, we're tired, we've been doing this, and we've got this issue, and we've got this. And so constantly being up for everybody else, mm. I think I've had to watch that when staff came back, I wasn't a little bit cynical. So when they said things like, oh, I'm really tired, I'm really tired, it was like, yeah, well, great. Well, you know, for the last seven weeks, you've been able to just go have a sleep if you want or you've been able to go for a walk at lunchtime. And I felt like I could actually become quite cynical <laughs> if I didn't watch myself. <laughs> but there's been times when I've been tempted to say, well, hang on a minute. Yeah. There's got to be good things about working from home. This hasn't all been a bad thing, surely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm being honest. That's sort of how yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've had to watch myself a little bit yeah, in the last couple of days. I think you're right there, Kim. You know, one of the things that I regularly throughout that period talked to staff, either in, you know, video logs or, you know, we did had some podcasts or just via email, was actually what was positive about that time. It was so easy mm. with the media and everything, and it, it still is. It's all anybody talks about at the moment. And, you know, I, I said to my, my wife the other day, please, let's just talk about anything else because I'm over it. But to actually focus on the positives, you know, what an impact it had on the environment, how everything was quieter with no traffic, how people f had that sense of community, how people were exercising more. Mm. You know, they, they initially they sound a bit naff. But actually, when you think about it, there were some incredible positives. Mm. You know, we have, as educators, we've talked for many, many years about changing the pedagogy to cater for new students, getting out of that Victorian style of education. Well, mm. bang, there we go. You know, every one of us around the globe had no choice. Mm. It's not often you get those opportunities. And you know, normally when you want to bring about change in your school, you've got the fast adopters who will do anything. You've got those middle of the roaders who after a while go, yeah, okay, I'll give it a try. And then the laggards at the back who never want to do it, the dinosaurs. But actually this time we had to have a hundred percent buy-in yeah. across the board. So that has been an incredibly positive learning experience for both the students and the staff. But I think that that point that you raise, that recognising those positives and really celebrating those positives is really important in terms of moving forward. So Steve saying, um, uh, what is it that we've done in the last seven weeks that we want to continue to yeah. do? Yeah. And what are the things that we used to do? we now realize we actually don't need to do anymore yeah, yeah <laughs> having absolutely. those kind of conversations with staff is, is going to be valuable moving forward yeah it's, it will be really easy to fall back into what it was like before mm. and so we, we need to be very careful to make sure that we take all those positives and keep on highlighting them in order to push practice even beyond where it is now yeah or else we are going to fall back into the traditional model of schooling, which none of us, frankly, want anymore. Mm, that's right. From a change management perspective, it was a dream. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah. perfect. I know. Same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But even even department-wise over here, um, we've got a great department of education here, but they were chasing their tail. So whilst they were chasing their tail, coming up with things that we needed to do, we were able to do stuff. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> without really having to 
ask anyone. Be governed. Yeah. And I think that was, um, again, we don't want global pandemics as a reason to be able to do these things. <laughs> but it did, as you said, David and Josh, it gave us a chance to try things, put things in place, and we've got policies in place that say we can do that. Yeah, it was very innovative. Thanks for listening. And I would like to thank our panel for joining us on this episode, Transition Back to School. Visit our website where you can subscribe to IB Voices so you'll never miss an episode. Stay tuned for the next episode.